This is it, Mom. Everyone has a destiny, and mine is just over that horizon. Cray, listen to reason. The elders all say it's just a never-ending ocean of desert out there. Oh, pish-posh. What kind of cruel god would create a whole planet defined by just one topographical feature? Wouldn't that be as ridiculous as a whole world made of nothing but ice, lava, or forest? No, sometimes you just have to dig deep down inside yourself and find the courage to say, Look out, world! Here comes Great Dragon! Travelers and Voyagers, welcome aboard the Katana Cast, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to celebrating and exploring the saga from our certain points of view. I'm your pilot, Ian, and with me, as always, are my co-pilots, Maria and Ben. So sit back and relax as we take off. We are joined today by a special co-pilot who I had the pleasure to meet during the Pink Milk Roundtables. She's awesome, and I love her so much, and I will let her introduce herself. Well, that was lovely. Hi. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Hope Mullinex, and uh, I am the owner of GeekyGirlExperience.com, where I write reviews about animation, Star Wars, and queer topics, and sometimes all at the same time. And I'm also the co-podcaster for both Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, which is an animation podcast, and J Guys and Jedi, which is a Star Wars animation podcast. And we're working through awesome. everything what we call the Filoni-verse, and The Mandalorian is definitely mm. part of the Filoni-verse. Yes, we will be tackling actually a lot of your areas of expertise on today's episode. For those of you who are listening, while The Mandalorian is going on, we will be doing a weekly episode for our podcast. So we are starting off, obviously, with Chapter 9. But before we get into Chapter 9, there was a little bit of Star Wars news earlier in the week, which pertained to the High Republic. It seems like every week or so, Star Wars or Lucasfilm, they're putting out uh, some news related to the High Republic, which is really cool. And this week's article was about the villains. I'm going to read a quote because I thought it was really cool. It seems like there's more than just the Nile that we're dealing with here. And so the quote from the article is, One of the North Stars for this initiative is to answer the question, what scares the Jedi, which is a really fun but extraordinarily challenging question to answer. Lucasfilm Publishing creative director Michael Siglin tells StarWars.com, all five authors, as well as the story group and publishing teams, had thoughts on what would scare them and why, but everyone agreed that had to be something new. So to me, this is really exciting, and I want to get everyone's uh, thoughts and opinions on this because I was drawn by this idea of what scares the Jedi. 
So let's start off with Ben. Oh, God, I really don't have a lot of thoughts of this off the top of my head, honestly. I like that we're going a little more complicated with our villains than what maybe we initially thought. We talked a couple weeks back about how we really didn't want to go to just another indigenous alien species as being the main villains of the story. Because that's something we've kind of done before. Uh, it can be a little bit tiresome. I think the Nile are really interesting in design. Uh, I'm interested to see how those really get played out. That's about all that I've really got about it, honestly. Hope, how about you? Um, this is my first time seeing this um, was today um, because I was all up on the High Republic stuff and then, you know, getting ready for the election happen and I forgot everything <laughs> in my life. Um, but I think if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the Sith are still in hiding during this time period. And so- yes. That tells me that these villains aren't Sith. And something I want to see in the High Republic is how the Jedi then contrast to against the Jedi of the prequel era, where they're so extreme and they're they're extreme to the point where they can't even see their own faults, um, which which I think is part of which is a huge part of their downfall. So I would almost wonder if this is when they start setting those rules into play. Um, and like what scares the Jedi is their attachments and their love and these feelings that are that like this is the beginning of the corruption of the Jedi that a few hundred years later we get to the Yodas and all of them in the Jedi Council, especially since Yoda is in this time period, too. So yeah, and exactly. I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's going to be interesting because um, with the villain not being Sith, there's a lot of wiggle room there. And as somebody who you know i'm a thrawn fan and i'm working my way through chaos rising there's a lot of stuff and there's a whole other empire and societies and stuff going on in the unknown regions so i'm wondering if this is before the unknown regions i got cut off from all of them as well and they could be tying some of that in too i don't know it's interesting for sure how about you maria the high republic is an interesting point in time i think it'll be great to get some new characters um hoping for some night sister-esque stuff to um, yes, I think when you're talking about what scares the Jedi, um, it's disorder, right? It's disarray. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of that. I'm glad to hear that it's not just the Nile. I kind of, I'm going to keep my opinion there to myself, but I feel like there's a lot of room for maybe, you know, personality, or maybe we just don't know enough about them yet, um, but they don't seem to have a lot of personality just yet. I don't know. I think it'll be really interesting to see how we gradually um, transition into the Jedi that we know um, from the, I don't know, I guess prequel era Jedi or whatever. Um, but I think the erection of that tower is a good indication that they're starting to slip into the arrogance. You know, we're going to celebrate what we're doing because we're doing so great. Uh, so I think it's an interesting place to go. Um, and I'm interested in learning more about how the great disaster really impacts and helps to move that shift forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just even just like looking at their robes, like their robes are drastically different of the Jedi. They're mm -hmm. more elegant and they have like these gold trims and stuff. And oh, yeah, I could I like the idea that it's, it's the peak of their arrogance. I like that. Maria, it's so nice to finally meet you. I've heard so many nice things about you. It's just really nice to meet you. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. Hey, girl. I've heard really super What's nice things about all you guys, too. So I'm just really happy to meet you guys. Hi. <laughs> I'm a little shy meeting Thank you. Thank you. Um, what was the so question? 
<laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Ian. Ian, I love you too. I'm just no, really happy good. to be here. No, no, it's all good. Um, Maria hinted at our villains being more than just denial. And this is actually really exciting for me because um, as someone who is all about creatures and aliens, we have this new villain called, I'm just going to take a shot and say it's pronounced the Dranger. Dranger. <laughs> and it's like squid looking. It's got like tentacles. <laughs> It is like oh my a monster. God. Mm. So the description. <laughs> it looks like the mutant cousin of Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> or the, the player from Little God Shop of Horrors. bless him. <laughs> Feed me. Miss Jedi, feed me. <laughs> right? That's what I saw. Also, Lucasfilm, I love you, but oh, sweetie, you just walked into a whole trap you don't even know yet. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that clip of George saying that he was naive about the S&M implications of yeah. Leia's bikini? Oh, who, who, who at the office <laughs> didn't love them enough to say, um, maybe we don't do tentacles. Can, wait, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. Yes, oh, please yeah. do. Okay. So as somebody as a, like, <laughs> as somebody who is a sympathetic monster fucker, uh, I love it. Like, this looks like, like such a great fun right? time. He looks so friendly and like, well, just more arms, more better of time, man. So the description <laughs> okay. they give us for the Dranger is it's a sentient plant life who are looking to reap a terrible harvest across the galactic frontier uh, oh it's gonna and... reap something <laughs> <laughs> you like that <laughs> you gonna reap <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, i'm done I'm be quiet <laughs> <laughs> the ao3 tags are gonna be insane <laughs> You know I what can't. this reminds me of? There's this infamous like Japanese painting of like I'm pretty <gasps> that... sure it's a woman with the it's like, called the fisherman's wife, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is like to me the Star Wars version of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't don't give them any ideas. <laughs> They're gonna find it on their own. No, but like in all seriousness, uh, the whole like growing and reaping a terrible harvest across the galaxy. I think that's a really interesting. Especially, you know, kind of to like touch on the chapter nine thing with something like the crate dragon and these stories about like our characters and the people in the galaxy just fighting nature in general when nature's just trying to exist. I mean, that's kind of how I felt the great about the crate dragon in uh, the Mandalorian episode. He was just mm -hmm. there doing his dragon thing, and these people came into his territory and was just like hey, let's kill you. And he's like, but I live here. Um, and so I think that they could really set up a very interesting story about like nature versus mankind with this little shop of horror sex toy, the animal. Yes. Yeah, it also exactly. makes me wonder, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but when they were initially announcing the High Republic, did they not say that this was during a period of rapid expansion of colonization in the galaxy? Mm. Mm -hmm. So this could be, kind of the Jedi at their height at the kind of the peak of colonization in our star Wars galaxy as new planets are being discovered and colonized uh, of it being a very industry versus nature narrative possibly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's also even better if they're thinking. force sensitive, because then it might be a dark side version of what we've already seen in the Bindu. 
I was just about to say, yeah, because it seems like in general, at least with the Star Wars story group or whatever, um, they've been wanting to do some kind of dark side Bendu equivalent because that idea is prevalent in the concept art for The Rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. where Ben goes to like the, the weird spider creature thing. It's mm. the Oracle, I think? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Oracle. Yeah. So we've known about the Nile, though, for a while, but we're given a bit more of a description on them. And what I thought, or what piqued my interest, was this description by Charles Soule. Uh, The Nile are brutal, savage marauders based in the Outer Rim. They're the stuff of nightmares, able to appear anywhere, almost at will. They use bizarre, intimidating tactics, chemical weapons, poison, anything that might kill you they'll use so that kind of that description sort of i don't know that really grabbed my attention because to me when i first saw and pictured the nile not just space pirates but like space vikings it kind of seemed but this gives a totally different description of them where being able to appear almost at will like was it maria or hope was just saying like hopefully we'll get more night sisters kind of action so maybe they're you know maybe they're using more magic force rather yeah. than just like pure force because that's like what that the night sisters can do like mother talzin like they appear almost at will but using their magic I, I really hope that they do go in that direction i have the most fun in new star wars when we get to see different cultures using the force in ways that aren't necessarily what the Jedi would traditionally consider mm-hmm. as being force sensitive. Like we've seen that with the, obviously the Knight sisters. We understand a little bit that the Ewoks had that same kind of thing. They have their witch doctors. Uh, and then also in rebels, there's a whole bunch of discussion about different cultures having kind of a force sensitivity that they can train into and they have their own pathways through without ever needing the Jedi order or its dogma. Mm. And I think that if something's going to scare the Jedi, what's scarier than someone tapping into something that you think you have the only access to? Right. Yeah. Yeah. My my only thing is, uh, so something about me is I love a good villain. Like I love villains. I just I just did like a three hour podcast with Knights of Ren just about the villains of Rebels. Like I love villains, but the word that is really sticking out to me in this is savage and. When we have the word savage, it's usually referred to like savages. And it makes me have this kind of almost like indigenous people kind of vibe to it. So with these being the like who depending on whose point of view this is, if we're seeing these people from the Jedi's point of view, then of course they're the villains or the antagonists. But until we get their side of the story, they might just be defending their own territory as the Republic is expanding into them. Um, yes. because, because Ben, you are right. Like, uh, I, this is a time where the, um, the outer rim is still being discovered and they're still figuring out hyperspace lanes. So it, like, it makes me wonder if they really are bad guys who are just defending their own area of space or if, I mean, and they could be jerks, you know, I'm all down for people just being evil for being evil. Like there's a reason I think Tarkin's a fascinating villain because he's just evil to be evil. He's the biggest space Nazi that's ever space Nazi. And that's what makes him so scary. But like these, until we get more about them, they're either going to be, you know, just kind of one note or they could be really fascinating and just defending their area. 
And I think the point of view of who we get this from is going to be really interesting. And Charles Soule is really good at writing villains. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big fan of him writing villains. Um, mm-hmm. There's a reason I love his run of Darth Vader, and it's one of my favorite things in all of Star Wars. He's so good at writing them. Yeah, Maria, how about you? As far as High Republic goes, um, I'm I'm kind of sensitive to the word savage. I, I hope they figure a way out to make it so that it uh, doesn't come off as uh, racist, you know, a, as it implies. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm real hesitant about that word. Ooh, you know, who are you to call? those people it reminds me a lot of the the tolls arc um from clone wars if you can just follow me real real quick right the pantorans they're on the planet they're trying to you know figure out what's going on and the tolls are out there doing their thing you know and and they're having a conflict of interest because one group doesn't understand the other group um so i'm getting a lot of toll vibes from it uh but we'll just have to see we'll wait and see actually just looking at it um some of the concept of art of the Nile, I think there's only so far one human and they're prominently alien. Right. Yeah. So this was something also that I touched upon our first podcast episode was this idea of like, again, you know, obviously there's going to be like good aliens and bad aliens, but just the idea of, or the trope of a group of villains being primarily or prominently alien um, or not human-like, you know, dehumanizing certain species. Like, it's just going back to the concept art, like the Nile are the ones that are dressed in darker colors. And then here you have the Jedi dressed in these very sleek, shiny, regal, gold clothings, probably silk. It's very clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. But at the same time, because we got descriptions that this was almost like a renaissance in the Star Wars world. And at the same time that the renaissance was happening on Earth, you know, that was the beginnings, again, bringing it back to uh, or tying it to the real world, like the beginnings of colonization and the expansion of European empires uh, enslavement of entire peoples and chattel slavery, like even in Solo, with the descriptions of the uh, Enfys Nest and her crew, oh, they're marauders, and like this idea of just like pirates, but it's a lot more nuanced than that, and that's what I'm kind of hopeful for too. The thing that I would probably leave it as far as my final thought on it is I do hope that at some point we get a version of the story from the indigenous people of maybe the planets that are being colonized. Maybe what's actually happening is that we've got the Nile on one end and then the Republic on the other, and they're both an invasive species coming into places that aren't theirs. And Mm -hmm. one side might say that they're just taking stuff because they're the marauders, they take stuff. But then is the Republic any better for thinking that they're coming in and colonizing and basically turning everything white and Christian? Like, is that the the vibe that Mm. we're going for here? Right. Anybody else have any last thoughts before we move on to our main topic? Okay, cool. So here we are finally. The Mandalorian Chapter 9. The moment we've been waiting since Chapter 8 ended last year. Mm-hmm. Let's just get right into it. So from the very beginning, we have a very similar kind of opening shot and sequence in terms of like Mando walking down the street. Uh, you know, it's very reminiscent of the first chapter 
in season one, which I thought was cool. Except instead of like broad daylight, this is like prime nighttime. And uh, hope I was hoping that you would have the name for these creatures because they're in the Clone Wars and Rebels. They got the like red eyes. Oh, is that are are those what those are? I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's what they are. I went to go look. I, I, I didn't wasn't see anything. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh. What they don't called? show them, but. It's very clear, like, they're not all about any kind of light. Yeah, they were in that one episode of Rebels. Yeah. In yeah, the storage, come... like, facility or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah, is yeah. that what those are? I'm that's pretty sure that's what those are. Yeah. And that's the hood they were strolling through, by the way. Yes. That's the Star Wars version of the hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fear Nox. There it is. Hello. Boom. Hello, Fear Nox. Boom. Hello. Thank you. Speaking of the Star Wars hood, the graffiti was littered with Easter eggs. I can't wait for somebody to like hardcore just analyze that shot by shot. Yeah. Yeah. Like I am not one of those. There's snow troopers. I am not one of those people that do that, but I am here for the people who do do that and they can, (laughs) they can. can. God bless you. If you speak Oribesh, let us know because we'll put you to work really quick. (laughs) I'm going to have you saying dirty stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We got a C-3PO cameo in that graffiti, by the way. Oh, we did? Or maybe not like exactly C-3PO. We had a protocol it's, droid, though. It's Yeah, the protocol droid head, and it was like yellowish gold. But we also got, um, I'm pretty sure there are stormtroopers and snowtroopers. Um, there is another, I don't know if it was Star Trek or Galactic. Battlestar? Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Isn't there, I, there's some kind of... Oh, there the is Cylon? a show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. With the Cylon? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about the Cylon is is they used the Cylon design in the Onderon arc of Clone Wars. Um, it was the flying ship that uh, was going out, and it's the one that actually ended up um, uh, uh, shooting Ahsoka for her to drop Stila. And those designs are based on Cylons. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So, That's um, dope. It, so it could be a little nod to both. Um and I only know that because my co-podcaster loves Better Star, so he was just like, "Look at the Cylon ships, Hope. Look at them. Look at them fly." Okay. And I was like, "Yes, Chris. Yes." <laughs> he said it like that. I no, well, sure. no. <laughs> A little bit nicer. It's more like, "Look, there's Cylons, Hope." But oh, okay. He's not here for to defend himself. So, well, get that thirsty man some water. <laughs> Good lord. Uh. And then we finally get into the Gamorrean Fight Club, right? Yeah. And then and John Leguizamo. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did really well. At first, I thought it was actually John Favreau. Mm-hmm. I was like, "This sounds a lot like John Favreau." I totally thought it was him, but I wasn't. I think surprised a lot of people Leguizamo. did. I had people on the internet just from the initial trailer, the the teaser of Korgoresh positive that that was john favreau so i got maybe four lines in with his character before i turned to my brother-in-law and said that's that's john linguizamo right mm-hmm. and then we just spent the rest of the scene going but it isn't it is right isn't that him yeah oh my god he's so good but then i'm pretty sure even in that fight club scene again all the aliens and other characters i'm pretty sure i saw someone who looked like they were in kanja club Um, someone who either was or looked like Constable Zuvio. 
Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. really dope. It was a cool scene. But we had we a got... Zabrak, right? Zabrak, yeah. 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 And then uh Vibro axes, right? Mm-hmm. It was really cool. That yeah. nice little nod to Knights of the Old Republic. I loved the sequence um where he's in the middle of fighting and then like someone tries to punch him in the head and like, you know, he has that shock. But then like two seconds later, he actually like uses his head to hurt the guy's hand. Like that was really dope. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, it was a good little piece of fight choreography, honestly. Because I was assuming that this whole WWE scene was going to come a couple episodes, like maybe episode two or three. So I was actually really surprised to see it like first thing. And then I was like, I have no idea what any order of the trailer is going to come in now because this was not my assumption. Yeah, they hit the ground running. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 As someone who hadn't watched uh, the trailer or the special first look or whatever, I was like pumped. I was like, oh shit, like we're getting we're getting things off like immediately, like hitting the ground running. It was really dope. But then of course, back to Tatooine, our girl Pally, uh, right? I love her. She's funny. <laughs> yes. I love her. Isn't she awesome? I actually love her. That I that scene is actually I, I find that scene very interesting because I feel like he doesn't know that she is probably his biggest help because she flat out says, thank the force. You brought the child and he doesn't know what the force is, <laughs> but he's looking for force users, but he doesn't know it. And here's Pelly going, yay, I know what the force is, but she thinks that he's looking for the baby species and that miscommunication right there. I think that's like the biggest, like, mm-hmm. It's either like a huge seed or a red herring and we're either like it's either super duper important or it's just a throwaway. And I don't know which one it is because that that the, for her just to be like, what the uh, thank the force. And that's exactly what he's looking for. But he doesn't know it like that feels so much bigger than it should be. Yeah, that's the question, right? Is like so she has she says it like thank the force. But then it becomes a question of does she know exactly what it is herself. And then uh, does Din Jaren know what it is? Mm. And if they both, well, at least if Din knows what the force is or has some kind of idea, how does he not connect it with what uh, baby Yoda is doing? I, I don't think he knows what the force is. No. Um, but that is a good point about Peli because there is definitely a lot of... Um, even at the height of the Jedi, like the whole point of the Martez sister arc in Clone Wars is that the normal people mm. don't know what the Jedi do. Ooh, that's a good um, Come through. Come through. Yeah. And like that's <laughs> their whole like, point of that. Uh, I love the Martez sisters, man. I just Hello. like, ugh, I love them so much. Um, they are the backbone and the thesis of Clone Wars. They are the thesis statement of why what Clone mm. Wars is. Um, I'm feeling that, that vibe right point. there. I'm just, I'm on it. I'm waving. <laughs> I'm waving through it. <laughs> um, I feel so nor- dorky because I'm just like, no, you coming through with some hot fire, Mama. Go, go. I'm gonna just vibe oh, my, with my you. My hottest. Well, here you go. Here's my hottest take of this okay, episode. Okay, let's go. Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks does more in the movies than Boba Fett. Mmm. Facts. <laughs> Boba Fett is so facts. Over and Jar Jar got some pussy before he did. Mm. Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. But don't think but I didn't really clock that tantric sex. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I, yep. I'm so 
my best friend only watched like the best of episodes and i'm like you realize jar jar had sex right and she was <laughs> right. like i don't want to think about that and we yeah. will not be showing our yeah, daughter that episode. <laughs> i that wanted happened. jar jar and um oh back with the blue shadow fire i wanted him and that other uh gungan yeah, the farmer girl with the yes. cow. She yeah. was so cute. She was they cute. They were like a match made in heaven. She was cute, but she ain't no freak. That's the thing. It's like the yeah. duck lady, she's she's the freak of the week. <laughs> and that's actually, uh, that's another example of force users. Because the Bardartans yeah, are another example of force users too. They didn't want to give their kids to the Jedi and they had that treaty with them. Um, but Ian, I think that's a really good point. Does does Pelly know what the force is or not? Or is she just saying like a phrase that she heard? Um, and, and I think that is the big question. There. I hope we can finally expand on something that we just got a tiny mention of back in Force Awakens with Laura Santeca and the Church of the Force. I would love to see if there are just normal people floating around the galaxy that maybe after the Jedi were so heavily involved in colonization that just kind of took their version of the force and built their own kind of very casual religion around it and what their understanding of that might be. Yeah. Yeah. And are they, are they anything like Turd and Bays in Rogue One, like with the wills, mm. like how similar is the church, of the force to the guardians of the wills? That's like, a good question. The same thing. Are they denominations? It's like one, the Catholics and the other ones like the Presbyterians <laughs> or the Baptists. Actually, Bayes drank, so he's not a Baptist. I was raised Baptist, and you cannot drink, which is sad. That's why I left. Oh, okay. You learn something new every day. <laughs> you do. <laughs> You're right. Don't be raised Baptist. It's horrible. I was raised about a bunch of Baptists. They all drank, too. They just didn't tell anybody. About it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So how about there's actually a lot, like, even within this one scene between Pelly and Din. Bless there, you. God bless yeah, God bless you. There's is a entire. lot of <laughs> Yeah. As an atheist, I really don't I, I say God bless you just because it's, you know, what's convenient. Well what and if we you want to demons in you? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Some of us are down for that. <laughs> Some of yeah. us want them. <laughs> Let me stop. What my, Let me stop. Let's go what back my to this. They're always said my grandmother would always take me by the shoulder and be like, God bless you. That demon is out of you now. I'd be like, thanks, nanny. Can I go watch TV now? Oh As God. someone who has been exercised twice. Mm. Like, what? If it was easy. Oh, I could tell you a story sometime, a, baby. Right, but today is not the time. <laughs> like, if it was easy to catch a demon, I would have found one just for something to do as a child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I feel bad for those people who went to like pray the gay away stuff and oh my god uh, yeah religious people are the worst. the fun part is is when you show up and you didn't know it was supposed to be a pray the gay away <laughs> oh shit and you're oh, like oh who's no. gay and they're like what <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's where I guess that's where I was lucky because I came out to like a really trusted church member and they were like, then they spent the next hour telling me about how I was going to go to hell because I had a girlfriend and I just didn't go back. Mm. And I was fine. There you go. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, well, f fuck off then. Mm. Eh. 
It's all semantics, really. I mean, there's a whole Bible story about a dude pulling out and God smote, like smiting him. I mean, there's sex. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of sex. What the hell? There's Jesus like the gay centurion, you know? <laughs> there's an entire, like, where Jesus is like, I'm cool with the gays. And it's not talked about enough. And Look uh, at that hair. You mean Jesus- to tell me he wasn't hanging with the gays? I mean, because right. it was yeah. laid. He had a blowout. He did. Right. Like, he was good Which to go. Which was unusual. <laughs> okay. And no his, his poor Jewish mother is like, oh, Jesus. He's such a good. He's never found the right girl. It's him and his 12 best friends. They go everywhere. They're everywhere yeah, they together. do. Yeah, they do. I don't know about that Judas, though. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's a little bit too straight for the rest of them. Judas absolutely had an ally t-shirt and thought that he should be in the LGBTQIA. He, he thought that's what the A was in LGBTQIA. <laughs> the A is for all of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Judas was that dude at the gay bar who people walk by and he's like, yes, Queen Slay. Oh my God, I'm living. <laughs> and Jesus and all the other like disciples have that like kind of like turn and like suspect, disgusted look yeah. with their drinks like. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, stop acting. Be cool. Right? Be cool. Be normal. You're embarrassing us. You're embarrassing <laughs> me in out. front of yeah. Jesus. Come on. Hush. Bitch, my mama gonna read about this in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, calm down. This is gonna be John twenty-four. <laughs> oh, okay. John sixty-nine, sixty-nine. That's right. That's right. Mm-mm. And they all did body shots. Amen. <laughs> hey, hey, they're the ones that That's ate. It. They ate his bread. Oh. And they drank his blood. Oh. Yeah, they did. Talk about S and M. And lo, the twink did not call him back, and he was sore afraid about it. <laughs> no, no. He said, no. "For have I come on too strong?" And yes, his brother said, "Barry." <laughs> I'm done with you. And yay, there was a U-Haul. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. A U-Haul. <laughs> All of this is going to have to be cut, but I'm going to put it no. somewhere. No, no, keep it in. No. If you, no. you better keep it in. That's gold. Keep it in or there's going to be hell to pay. Let's go. Somebody gonna love that. We oh. wanted an SNM chat anyway. Now here it is. Oh here God. it came. You I mean, because from the last week, <laughs> it never happened. It never happened. It, there's no record of it. I love how last week we had a whole S and M conversation. We're like, oh man, that's too sad because that kind of pushed our envelope. And now we're like, was Jesus be fucking? All I'm talking about here is blasphemy, blasphemy, you, blasphemy everybody in the room. <laughs> Hey, he had 12 dudes and Mary Magdalene. Come on. Yeah, Mary was around just like, one day he'll pick me. Right? Like, yeah. She was the one yeah, who was will. like, right? I'm going to, she was the equivalent of like, right? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make them him pick me, teams. bitches. Yeah. There's Mary's the, the one who got halfway through a bottle not. of wine and she goes, You just ain't met the right woman yet. Let me show you why. <laughs> All right, let me show you what I'm working with. Like, bitch, exactly. Don't nobody want your dusty pussy. <laughs> Come on. Speaking of. You think of he du- didn't know? He knew. 
I just didn't don't want you, it. Don't you dare use that as a segue, Ian. I <laughs> rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Don't <laughs> you dare. Dusty pussy, no. <laughs> Speaking of dusty pussy. <laughs> ah! You got one. Let me find out. Uh, There's a lot of character <laughs> development between Din and Pelly when he's like, <laughs> 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 "Don't you dare!" I'm sure she has a very moist Don't pussy. She's she got a very like beautiful thin. wife at home that she comes home to. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, she got an oil someone... treatment in that hair between seasons. Like she found herself a nice mm. lady who's helping out. <laughs> um. Just between the fact where she she's telling those doom droids, hey, like back off. But then Dan, having experienced chapter eight and the sacrifice of IG-11, no, they could probably do the once over. I mean, talk about like our boy is making progress, right? And that was a cool sweet little moment, honestly. It really was. I'm sure it's just to kind of show character growth on it, but. You know, my old ass is sitting on the couch like, I'm just so proud of him. He's doing so good. He got a baby. How Yes. <laughs> and how about? He's tra- he has a put like a little bag for his baby, but not a helmet. Yeah, we need to talk about this helmet <laughs> situation. He didn't even give that baby goggles. He has got, he's 45% eyes and you didn't put a goggle on that baby? <laughs> yeah, I, I lost track of how many times I screamed at my screen like, Get, get it, even if it's just like a little ba- like bicycle helmet, just put something on this baby. You know, I was sad. <laughs> I was very scared for the child driving in a motorcycle. He's enjoying himself, though. He's totally living his life. His best I mean, he life. has that same gorgeous, angelic expression every time he's in a sack on a speeder bike. And it's just <laughs> like thriving. That's his, that's his happy place. It is. <laughs> in, in someone's sack. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. <laughs> so, did anyone see... Um, see. Did anyone read a- any of the Aftermath trilogy novels? I got about three chapters into it. So... Mer- for time it was just running i ran out of time and i haven't gone back yeah. to it so not because it was bad let me say so maria what's happening? what was it like having a character and part of that character's story cobb vanth like a, you know i feel like a lot of times with books and comics sometimes they can be put on the back burner in canon all the time but Especially but, on Wednesday. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how about, how did it make you feel like reading this character, getting to know this character in some sort of way, and then he, here he is on TV. It made me laugh my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> that out of all the characters, they picked this petty Betty Mm-hmm. to put in the live action and I still ain't had no live action Ahsoka so after I was done laughing my natural black ass off then <laughs> I I said oh shit they for real they really for real and the story has changed a little bit from what was in the book and I know that that's just to make it cleaner so that people understand what's happening and there's certain elements that were pulled away because it it causes confusion. So 
it was okay. It was dope. It was nice to see. Um, more importantly, it's indicative that Lucasfilm is learning and they're learning to trust us, right? Trust the fact that I read Aftermath, okay? Put somebody on the screen and just trust that I've got you. And even if we have fans out there that don't, you know, interpret and digest all that material, that they'll be able to catch it as well, right? So I think it's a really good sign for the future of, of Lucasfilm and what they're doing. Um, but I would also be lying if I didn't say I was salty that other characters, which I feel like are way more important to the storyline, like Ahsoka Tano, like Ezra Bridger, like, you know, come on. Uh, there's just so many that we haven't seen in live action. Thrawn, uh, Quinlan Voss, Ray Sloan, come on somebody, you know, Asajj mm -hmm. Ventress. See, I, I think that like the interesting thing about Cobb is it was kind of that first step to kind of test the waters to open the door because with someone like I, I've been aware who Cobb Vanth was and I knew he had the Boba Fett uh, armor just because, you know, be, just being in the Phantom and stuff like that, but I hadn't read those yet. So the moment I saw the Boba Fett armor, I was like, oh, it's the dude from Aftermath. Cool. But I think this is a nice kind of water because I got the same feeling about Cobb Vanth that I got about Malin Solo. And and what I mean by that is is two things, because for one, it means I, I like seeing the canon just kind of connected throughout, you know, have everything together. But I also had a very negative reaction to it because there's almost like a marketing synergy underneath it of like, oh, you don't know how Maul is alive? Go watch Clone Wars. Yeah. Oh, you like this Cobb Vanth guy? Go read Aftermath. So I do feel like there's a little bit of like upselling marketing going on underneath it. But that said, like... I like them testing the waters because is Cobb the first book character brought into live action? I guess Thrawn technically. Well, no, he's not live action. No, he's never That's been in live action. So. I'm thinking. I'm because, thinking. Yeah. I think this so. kind of like opens the door. Like, it might like be. now everybody's on the table. Like we could have Ray Sloan, Dr. Afra, Cyana, and Hello. Thane. Like I want to know where Cyana Thane is. Um, you know, Nash Windrider became an extremist after Alderaan blew up. He's like the number one prime person to be in the First Legion. Not the First Legion, the First Order. Um, so I, th I think this is a nice water testing moment because Vanth is such a small character that if it didn't work out well, we don't ever have to see him again. Um, but if people reacted really well to him and stuff like that, then that kind of opens the door for other book characters to make that transition. So I, 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 I both like it, but it also feels like them saying, now go read Aftermath because you think Timothy looks great and hot in this TV show. <laughs> well, he does. I mean, come on now. Well, yeah, I'm not saying he doesn't. I mean, he does look hot. Not going to lie. <sighs> Except for just with the, with the red sweater under the Boba Fett armor, it just looked like he was trick-or-treating and his mom was like, it's cold outside. Put a sweater under it. It looked like one of those. <laughs> now, I'm all for some of them because I think some of them look cool. But he looked like one one of the bad versions of those holiday Black Series figures they just put out. Right. Because oh, it was, no, red, and, it was like like, red and green. Like, what is this, Christmas time? Like, oh. come on. The, pe the, the Pedro Pascal one looks so bad. Oh, he he oh, looked like he drowned and bloated. Don't. Mm. That's Why he did you like do he, that, man, he bloated like that? after He looks bloated after a drowning. Drive-by shooting. <sighs> he never had a chance. Yeah. Stung by like a million bees in the neck region. Oh, and and he's so white. Mm. But yes, Cobb Vanth, Timothy Oliphant. 
Oh okay. my god, I could talk about him. <laughs> um, Go for it, baby. Do it. Ian's thirsty hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say, I'm like pleasantly surprised. Like you hear Timothy Oliphant, you hear Star Wars, you hear Cobb Vanth. Like you know, like it's the obvious choice for them to go with him to play that character. But again, it's just like, you know, here's this guy who's played cowboys and marshals, like pretty much his entire career. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go, to be honest. But he, I thought he killed it. And not only that, but he looks damn good killing it too, if I might add. I mean, he's got, he's like, ugh, a fox. <laughs> a fox but more importantly uh we have more um more so i'm kind of split on this uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> oh you're split all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i've been over uh, here fooling while you're talking oh uh, no also, I won't podcasting right is a visual <laughs> medium Oh, man. I totally walked into that. Um, (laughs) We have, so we have more humanization, but at the same time, we have this dehumanization of Tusken Raiders. Because while we do hear Din uh, speaking Tusken and signing again, and there's way more interaction, like, there's way more interaction with the Tuskens just like in this chapter uh, than in the entire saga of films. And while we're getting to see them and know them on a much deeper level, they're also the ones who are, you know, they're the first casualties of the crate Dragon. Um, and um, it looks, at least, so I just did a rewatch earlier, and it looks like more of their people are getting killed off than um, the Moss Pelgo people Mm. so um what are you know what are some of our thoughts on this like the simultaneous like humanization but also dehumanization of uh this indigenous peoples so i'm gonna be real honest with you for just a little bit here and i'm just gonna be very very blunt about it because i have some really strong feelings about kind of the humanization of the Tuscans. I think that that's one of the the bigger triumphs of the first season and then something that's carried on over to it But let's just be really real for just a split second, because obviously we want to make sure that representation is appropriate and respectful in Star Wars, even if it's with a fictional species. But we have a situation where we need to have casualties in order to raise stakes, right? So just this is a pure just show running stance, right? It's also a family show, and it's a whole different showing, quote unquote, faceless people dying. That's kind of why you have stormtroopers than having face characters die. Because that changes the tone of it. It becomes a lot darker and it's not necessarily as mm-hmm. viewer friendly because it's not a rollicking adventure. Once people with faces start dying, it becomes a little more tragic. So from just a pure show running stance, like I 100% understand why some people would be upset that we're majority seeing these Tuscans be murdered during this over the, the villagers. At the same time, I don't know that the inverse would have worked with the same tone that the show was trying to go with, if that makes any sense. No, that that makes sense. I I was just going to say, I think that was a really nice way of framing it, because that made me just think of uh, Star Wars Rebels, Mm. actually, a lot, and how we never see uh, the Stormtroopers take their their masks off. And 
Um, and there, there were several times where like, it's an early season one episode where Sabine point blank shoots a stormtrooper in the face, um, right? Like right in his forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the uh, cadet episode where she's coming in to save Ezra. And that's very brutal, but because you don't see a face and um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it because, but, but still, I mean, if you want to set those stakes, I mean, and to show that we're trying to connect with the Tuscans who are these indigenous people and stuff like that, then the the face people have to have stakes in this as well. Because I, I when I was doing my rewatch, I was seeing like after they beat the dragon, if there was any communication between the two groups and there still yeah. wasn't, you know, the, the face, the, the townspeople were picking up their own townspeople. The Tuscans were picking up their own Tuscans. And the only kind of like little move to some kind of, treaty between them was Cobb when he drank the little black melon yeah. thing because he didn't drink it earlier but he drinks drinks it later and he's really the only one that I saw that had that kind of shift there and so I think they were got like they almost got to the finish line but they dropped it at the end um in that like last fight in battle and they could have done something really really powerful of these people coming together with the Tuscans and defending each other and they dropped the ball and they didn't and I think they missed the mark there and it's just now they're going to go off on their separate ways with no point proven. They killed a dragon, huzzah, and then got a piece of filet mignon for his baby. I hope that that's not the last time that we see the Tuscan Raiders. Honestly, it looks like we're going to be coming back to Tatooine more often as mm-hmm. this series progresses. I would oh, love for... Why we always want to go to yeah, Tatooine. I know. Indoor exists, guys. It's a planet. We can go to there anytime we want. That's okay. We can do it. But anyways, I digress. Uh, if we're going to keep going back to Tatooine, I would love for every time we go for there just to be a little bit more interaction between Din and the Tuscan people, because it makes a lot of sense to me why he interacts with them so yes. naturally, because he was also raised in a warrior society where you don't show your face to the outsiders and they have a very specific way of speaking and very specific rituals. And it makes sense that he would have connected with the Tuscans. I'd love to see an episode where we, maybe he spent an extended amount of time with them. I don't need dances with wolves. Don't get me wrong. Like, let's not do that. Yeah. But I would love to see, some kind of a backstory with them. I think there's a lot more story there waiting to happen. I did think of Dances with Wolves when watching this episode. I was like, oh, it's just about as horribly racist. See, I've <laughs> oh, never seen fair. Dances with Wolves specifically because of that. So I, when watching this episode, like none of that came into my mind. My, my dad's sadly obsessed with that movie and like watches it multiple times a year. Ugh. Yep. I grew up in that household too. The wolf is... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Although, if you are a student of film, just throwing it out there, it does not hurt for you to see Dances with Wolves once if you want to see an example of what happens when well-intended white people decide that they want to represent a minority and don't overly involve asking mm. minorities what they think about it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Fair enough. Maria, how about you? Yeah, I think the, the goal was to kill the the worm and then there would be peace between the Tuscans and the people, but I like, like, um, like she said earlier, like we need to go beyond just the peace to actually like respecting each other. Um, I do like that. We're getting so much representation with the Tuscans and sign language and all this good shit. And I hope that they continue to do it going forward. I don't really have a whole lot to add there. The only thing I kind of wish they did and, you know, bringing Cobb Vanthan, he is a book character. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I can't remember what book it was. It might have been from the first certain point of view, but it might have been from something else. But to the Tuscans, like killing the great dragon is a rite of passage. Like it is a ritual. It is a religious thing. To That's them. from a certain and, point of view. Okay, it is. Okay. I've read, I've never finished it. That cantina scene is way too long. I don't it's need to know every really person. It's hard to Skip get through. Skip that whole section. Ugh. I'm not mad at you. Ugh. Ugh. But, like, so I, I almost wish they did go that extra little mile to where, like, the townspeople are just like, let's blow it up. And the Tuscans are like, no, like, we have to do these rituals first to get the people to understand why it's important to them because Din just says they want to kill the crate dragon too, but they missed the mark of like, it's part of their like deeper society of like, like this rite of passage and respecting this creature. And it's like, they did all like the little, what are they called? Cliff notes of indigenous people, but they didn't like go deeper past that. It was just like, look, this is the base of telling the story. Huzzah. But they don't like deep dive into the story, you know, and to make it more rich and entertaining and not entertaining, but like more rich and like authentic is the word I was looking for. Gotcha. Yeah, um, I felt like we the only glimpse of that sort of ritual practice was when um, the one Tuscan finds and holds up the crate pearl, which like if you're a fan fan, like you'd pick up on it. But like the casual fans probably just thinking like, well, what the fuck is that thing? I heard so many. I was listening to um, a couple other podcasters and they thought it was an egg. Huh. Interesting. Um, yeah. As much, so we did get a lot of like cool in its own special ways, a lot of like fan service and a lot of like Star Wars nerdy things like seeing the Banthas and the Tuscans and everyone in single file like five times was super cool. And then uh, Anakin, I, uh, okay, so. It might not exactly be Anakin's pod race engine, but I'm going to say it's Anakin's it pod race engine. Yeah. That's not accidental. They knew what they were doing. Also, uh, shout out to R5D4 because he yes. straight up got screen time and a lot of people forgot mm-hmm. him. You're like, look, he's got he's got carbon scoring from when his bad motivator went, guys. Yeah, he came back. They had him in in chapter five as well in the cantina scene. Oh, shit. I didn't even notice him. Yeah, he he's there. He like rolls past and you can see kind of like it's maybe like a split second, um, but you can tell, too, that it had like the carbon scoring in the back, which was like really cool. But uh, this was probably like my biggest super nerd moment watching this episode. Like I kind of like freaked out. They incorporated and used all of the Ben Kenobi Kray Dragon sounds in the battle sequence. Like when the Kray Dragon, they didn't just use the one from like the most recent home video release. They like incorporated all versions of that like Kray Dragon yell, which to me, I don't know, for some reason, I just was like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's dope. See, I didn't get a chance to rewatch the episode before we did this because I, I had heard mm-hmm. Ian mention it, so I wanted to go back and see it. Do they use the weird reverb one from the most recent release? Yeah. I'm going to have to watch it just for that. <laughs> that's a... I am not this kind of thing. <laughs> right. My ear is not tuned <laughs> like that. Uh, see, I'm like, I'll be watching anything 
like any of the movies or Clone Wars or Rebels and like I'll be like, oh, that's the noise from Hoth on that one scene where they're like doing this then. Like I'm such a huge like sound person as much as I am like visual like that kind of stuff is just like really cool like it's just so cool how they reuse and recycle the sounds I think it's so cool it is cool because it actually like show like keeps everything within universe and keeps it all very similar in the same so like it is an important like your kind of fans are very important (laughs) well how about meanwhile meanwhile i'm just like but the crate dragon was just minding its own damn business and these people came in into its house and was just like hey we're gonna blow you up and i was like oh poor crate dragon he's just wanted to eat have lunch how about the when din takes he's about to get swallowed intentionally mm-hmm. by the crate dragon but then he knocks Cobb vant in the same spot on the jetpack and we mm-hmm. get the same thing from return of the jedi like Oh, that was so cool. I got a lot of like Kylo Ren comic book vibes from that. Yeah, someone. Because he jumped in the Zillow Beast like that. Mm -hmm. It might have been Steel Saunders and Hoss Burkhart on one of their shows they're doing. Uh, Someone mentioned that that whole sequence where they fly up together and try battling the crate dragon and distracting it was like a dark horse comics dark horse dark horse dark comics. horse yes yeah. what about them <laughs> they're whores okay <laughs> we already know they're called the night sisters and we respect them in this house oh! damn <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with the show. That's it. That's all the time we have. <laughs> Help. Uh, that yeah, was it good. is like the Dark Horse comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was cool. Like, we've got, I don't know, it was just a cool episode where there's a lot of different fan service elements and Star Wars world building elements. Like, it just seemed to work. Get them callbacks, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I do think that's the strength of this episode too, and it's it's a very fine line between repeating storylines mm-hmm. and being a strength because we, you know, there's so many like little nods to like animation and books and stuff like that, but we have to remember that the Mandalorian is like second place to the movies with general audiences that don't deep dive, so it, they have to kind of touch on these familiar things for those people who are. Sadly, we're the minority of fans because most fans just, you know, see the movies and watch The Mandalorian and that's that. Um, but it, that is because there's so many nods to like, this is the plot of Sanctuary of, of chapter mm-hmm. four, you know, like we're back at Tatooine. So it's a very nice balance of the familiar, but then deep diving for deeper fans like us. Um, can we talk about? Yeah, I was wondering how we're going to do it. That was the next. <laughs> that was I was just about to get into it. I can yeah go, go for it. yeah i was <laughs> waiting for boba yeah, yeah. go for it so i think the interesting thing about Cobb vance and boba both in this episode is this is to me laying down the groundwork of the season um because we see Cobb vance wearing the mando armor and he's not a mandalorian but the whole point of him is proving that he actually really is worthy of wearing it because um, uh, and I think that's where Jen eventually comes to respect him. And he even, even though he gives it back at the end because he's an honorable man and that's their deal. 
And then we have Boba, which is a long disputed thing about whether or not him and Jango were even Mandalorians to begin with. And then you finally you have Din, and he's a foundling. So you have somebody who's not a Mandalorian who found the armor and wore it and embodied it. We have somebody who's disputed, who is a clone, and is he even a Mandalorian in the first place? And then we have a foundling who's in this armor. And I think really it sets up the the story of the season is, what is a Mandalorian? What makes someone a Mandalorian? Mm. And is it the armor or are they greater than the armor? And having those three characters together, I think really just set down like this is the groundwork and the thesis of the season that we're going to explore this, Mm -hmm. especially when we know there's rumors of Bo-Katan and possibly Sabine Wren. Um, Like, so I think that's what it's going to come down to is what is a Mandalorian? Is it more than just the armor? And I, I, I really like, I'm not a Boba Fett fan and I'm very scared about Boba being in the show. Um, and cause I, Ian knows this from pink milk, but before the Mandalorian ever started, I never wanted this to be the replacement for the Boba Fett show that didn't get made. I never wanted that. Um, and with cameo characters, it would be very easily for easy for like Boba. And even I feel this way about Ahsoka too. And I love Ahsoka Tano, but it'd be so easy for them to take away the story away from Den and baby Yoda and the show become about them. But I do have some faith because they handled cameo characters very well in Rebels and Star Wars Resistance and Clone Wars. And I trust Dave and I trust him to do this. But I am not sure if Jon Favreau is on the same page as that. And that's where I'm not sure. So I am nervous about them making the show. But I like the possibility of exploring what is a Mandalorian between Din and Boba. And I think that's going to be a very interesting story to explore. Mm -hmm. You're right. When I saw that, I was like, okay, so this is what we're really talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and of course I see it through my own lens, you know, as a Brown person. Okay. So we have this person who believes in their heart, they're black, right? They may or may not be, but in their heart, they have to cook out. And then we've got this person who is a descendant, but doesn't know it or understand it. And then we've got this person who's indoctrined and it's just like, it blew me away. It blew me away. Cause as, as a person who is biracial, I often get told you're not black enough. You are not enough or you're too black. Hold on. You can't be that black. You're light skinned. You, you got to slow down, you know, or you're, you're high yellow. So you're not really one of us. So back up. So I, I just, when I saw that, my mind immediately went to, who are you? Are you who you say you are? And how do you know? And it just, it blew me away. And I was immediately like, fuck, here we go. Racial identity crisis. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to what the answer will be for Jen and his universe. And I think it's an important topic that the sisters are going to cover uh, tomorrow night. So <laughs> we'll see, do that I can't as wait well. For that one. Oh, it's going to be a hot one. See, I was right on the same page with both Hope and Maria on this one. Uh, obviously, we all come at it from a slightly different angle with it. Mm-hmm. For me, what I think, and I could be wrong, but I do know how Dave Filoni loves a theme. Uh, especially with cameo characters. I wonder if this season, if we do get more Fett this season, we don't know if we'll get more Fett this season. He may be back next season. It's Filoni. He likes to take his time sometimes. But if he comes back, does this become armor as representation of identity? So mm-hmm. Den 
believes that you have to have this thing given to you and you have to honor it and you have to follow every rule to it to earn that identity because that's how he was raised as a foundling. We don't know Boba's relationship with being a Mandalorian. He wasn't raised as a Mandalorian. We know that for a fact. So we don't really 100% know even Jango's relationship with it. But as far as he knows, that is tied to his relationship with his father. So him losing that armor is that's his identity because he said it was his and because he created what that armor is supposed to represent and not necessarily that armor is supposed to represent a culture to him, if that makes sense. I, I almost wonder if we're going to get the flashback that we didn't get in Clone Wars, because one of the unfinished Clone Wars arcs was an arc with Boba Fett. He had and a shootout. Bang, and that was going to be the very first time that we saw Boba in the armor. Um, so I would love to actually, since they never got to do that in Clone mm. Wars, for one, I just want to see a live yes, action Cad Bane because I love him and he's my boo. But I, I think since being in a TV format, they like doing flashbacks. And I think that could be really cool to see them forge that armor, um, as, as, as young Boba. I think that'd be a really cool flashback to see. I think so. It's the age old, like, if they do it right for a lot of these questions and a lot of these ideas that we're discussing. That is so cliche. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel about the talk about Ahsoka. Like, please please let Ahsoka be right. I say that every time I get in Mm -hmm. bed with a man, if he does it right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Take it from somebody who knows, it's never right. (laughs) Make the best of it. (laughs) Uh, The joys of being ace and not having to worry about those things. (laughs) So, <laughs> For me, I feel like with Boba, this is where we get sort of um, the resolution, so to speak, for our identity crisis. Because from the Clone Wars, and we know this both from Lucas and Filoni, you know, at least with Django, they were adamant that he was not Mandalorian and that he had just. You know, he was just kind of gallivanting around space in this armor that didn't belong to him and, uh, you know, wasn't rightfully his. With Boba Fett being the son of, you know, well, being a clone, but also being the son of someone who Mandalorians said wasn't a Mandalorian, um, brings a whole other level of complexity because did Boba sort of follow in his father's footsteps in sort of that way where he just sort of oh look this is the armor that my father wore it looks cool uh it's you know some of the strongest material in space so i'm gonna wear it because i'm a bounty hunter or did he actually earn it in some kind of way or uh did he you know was he I guess, quote unquote, raised or taken in with other Mandalorians who taught him uh, any, you know, anything about the creed or what it means to be a Mandalorian. Because my next question, which relates to this Boba Fett appearance, is do we think that next episode is going to start on Tatooine or not? Like, is there, do we think that Boba's going to try to get his armor back? Like, does, does he even know that Din, like, yes, Din was riding on the speeder bike with Boba's armor. But, like, does does Boba even know that that's his armor, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Oh, he definitely knows. 
He's aware of it. He doesn't want it back. That's my own personal opinion. He don't want it back. Yeah. Yeah, because he's had, what, like five years to reclaim it from right. Cobb? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jala's like, he, he honestly, yeah, like Boba could easily have taken that back. And I wonder if it's something that it comes down to that Din wearing the Mando armor looks like Django. Mm. Um, and because and having the same, like, similar, like, head visor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's. I mean, it could have been a thing that, like, Boba didn't mind if someone like Cobb have it, but maybe he doesn't want another Mandalorian to have it. Um, it, It's such a... I'm really confused about the Mandos in this time period because when I see this whole... I liked liked what you said, Maria, like this indoctrination of Jen, um, because he was alive in the same time period that Sabine Wren is alive. And... And he said that I haven't taken off my helmet since I was those children's ages. Well, that's the same age that he would have been the same age as Sabine or like in Mm -hmm. that same age group. So I don't know why this group of Mandos is so vastly different from the other Mandalorians we've seen like Sabine and Ursa and Finn Mm -hmm. Rao and all of them. Um, And uh, sorry, I just my brain was like, it's your bedtime. (laughs) (laughs) My brain just stopped very suddenly. Um, But I I. I agree. I, I think that if Bobo really wanted the armor, he could have taken it back, but it might be something along the lines of he doesn't want another Mandalorian to have that armor. Well, he definitely never, as far as we know, made any attempt to connect to Mandalore mm-hmm. or track down any Mandalorians because that those were not his people. He was not raised with them. They nope. didn't come looking for him. No. Nope. Like they didn't make any attempt to find him. No. Nope. So why would he want them to take that thing? And then they can use it for their weird religion that he thinks is just bullshit because it didn't do his dad any good. Yeah, that's yeah, a good that's point a good, because yeah. like who are who are Boba's people? Because there are episodes of Clone Wars where he's with mm-hmm. other clones and he kills other clones because I mean, I, it's, I think it's the first Boba Fett episode and there's a clone on the ground like begging for his life. He's like, you're my brother. And Boba's like, you're not my brother. <laughs> and he kills yeah. him. Um, so like who are Boba Fett's people? And I think that's another important question to ask. It's also really interesting just from a writing standpoint that how does Boba feel about someone like Din, who's wearing a helmet because it's part of kind of a religious practice, right? Mm. And Boba, sure, maybe he wore it because of his dad in some way, but at the same time, he had a face that wasn't his face. Like when your face is owned by a couple million other people in the galaxy, like what do you do? Because when did he ever have a chance to have his own identity when he looks literally identical because he is the exact same thing as an entire army floating around out there? Yeah, absolutely. Total petty note, man. Tamara Morrison looks so good. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. He, he looks so, I was so happy to see. I was like, he looks great. So, also, did anybody point out the fact that he has a gaffy stick on his back? So does he have a relationship with the Tuscans as well? Yeah, that's a very good point because he's uh, got, yeah, he's a gaffy stick and then one of their rifles they have. Is he even one of the Tuscans that helps destroy the Krayt Dragon? Ooh. So before we move forward, I will share with you my theory as I Ooh. prop myself back up. All right. Um, so as someone who was raised by a parent, who wanted me so badly to be something because it made him feel good. You know, my dad is an old Cuban man who came to America, right, for the dream. 
Uh, and he decided as soon as my mom was pregnant that his baby was going to go to college. His baby was going to be the smartest baby that ever lived. His baby was going to speak perfect English. His baby was never going to have to worry about where her next meal was going to come from, you know? And so there's a lot of pressure that comes from that. When I, when I put myself in Boba's position and I think about my life, right. And I look at the armor and it's like, why would he want that back? Like that was something his father wanted for him. Mm. That may not be what he wants for him. And it may have taken him a long time to figure out what it is he wants for him because he missed him so damn badly that, you know, his father was stolen from him very, very young. And, and no one ever really came to fill that void. Um, so as somebody who for many, many years, you know, my dad used to, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't go outside and play. I would have to stay inside and read the encyclopedia to my dad. Um, I read all the mail because my dad could not read English. Um, and he would put on Oprah and I would have to speak like her back to him. Now say what she just said, say it just the way she did, you know, and, and he was obsessed with that. Um, and I later found out it was because, you know, he really took a lot of shit at work for being uh, Latino and, and speaking broken English. And there's a whole lot of other shit that goes into that, but um, suffice it to say that I, I think he doesn't want the armor back. If he wanted it back, he would have it already. Mm -hmm. And the reason that he doesn't want it back is because that's what his dad wanted for him. That's not what he wants for himself. Uh, and at this point in his life, I would expect him to know who Boba is as opposed to who Django was. You know, this man made a clone of himself. How vain is that? Mm hmm. You know what I mean? And then expected that person to live the exact same life without ever asking them what they wanted or who they wanted that life to be with, you know? And, and I love my dad to death, but my dad is very Django. This is how we do it. You're going to do it exactly the way I do it. You're going to do this this way, you know? And, and I push back every step of the way. My quinceanera was like <laughs> chicken wings, pizza <laughs> you know it was it was as american as you can get uh and and punk rock and i'm like daddy we have to have this blink 182 comfort band come in and he's just like i don't know 182 we're not doing 182 i'm like daddy we have to do 182 uh it was just it was a mess but um i i just uh when i think about boba in that moment i'm like wow that's me like he's found his own path and I'm happy for him. Like he looks like he's living his life, which is amazing. And um, I think the armor for him might even be a source of resentment at this point in time, because how many years slipped away because he was still trying to live for someone else, someone who's been gone a long, long time. Mm -hmm. all right i'm done no I'm that's that's that. really interesting because i think that was fire no, that was so good like I, 
the first thing I thought of actually was the it was one of the Age of Republic comics, and I think it was the Django one. And somebody was like Bobo was in it too, and somebody had talked to Django about it, and and he's like, "What do you think of this fatherhood thing?" And Django was like, "Oh, this is just my legacy. You know, I don't really care about this child. He's going to be my legacy." Mm-hmm. Uh, Hello. And that that's very that made me almost think that maybe he doesn't want the armor back to keep it and have it. Maybe he wants it back so he can personally let it go, because it kind of was taken from him in the Sarlacc pick, probably. Um, but maybe he wants it to destroy it and to like finally like my question is um, Boba seeing his armor uh, and the speeder bike driving away is that a visual symbolism of Boba moving on with the you know the armor and the uh, this identity of being a bounty hunter or possibly Mandalorian or not, or, you know, being Django's uh, clone son. Is that visual symbolism of both him moving on and then the armor moving on as well to someone who's maybe even more worthy of wearing that armor? I don't think so yet. I think in order for it to really be symbolism for him, we'd have to have more backstory for him at this point. But I do wonder if it can be Boba finally seeing his past be dug up and then wondering exactly how he wants to do with it. Because I do wonder, and this is a complete shot in the dark, but how would he feel about this other dude in a Mandalorian armor with a child thinking that he's going to raise him in this super strict order <gasps> again? When that's how his childhood was, and he doesn't want that for someone else. Damn. Hold up. Wait. Oh. oh, oh! What if he tries to take Baby Yoda because he Liberate thinks he's saving him? him. Oh, that's what God. I'm saying. I think we're not done on Tatooine. I think next week we're staying on Tatooine. I think, I think Boba. If we don't start on the Razor Crest and we're on another adventure somewhere, I think we start on Tatooine, and it's between Boba and Din, and. Either the child, like there's some kind of Ben, I like that idea of like him trying to rescue the child, or is he taking back the armor to bury it for himself? You know, just kind of like put it like it's his. He doesn't want anyone to have it because he doesn't want anyone to live the life that he had to live and he's done with it. There's there's also the very scary point of what if he wants to save this child to liberate it, but then he realizes it's force sensitive and it was the Jedi that took mm-hmm. his father from him in the Damn. first place. And then it becomes like a revenge story. Like, I, I think Boba's in this like really interesting place because he was around a time de- with Jedi. He's been around force users. He's seen them in action. And so he has this vast knowledge and is pretty much who Din is looking for. Uh, but he also is writing this very dangerous line of a lot of other things that he could be. He could either be totally cool with Baby Yoda or he could see an opportunity to get revenge on the people who took his family. I mean, there's there's so many different possibilities that they could do with Boba on this. I would hope that he has moved on and he just wants the armor back to let, let it go. I would hope that he's in that place. But, you know, to bring in such a big character... Um, I, I would love for it to answer your question, Ian. I would love for it to be a beautiful symbolism of him walking away, but they just brought in this character, and I think Filoni and Favreau like to play in the sandbox with their toys a little bit before they let well, him go. Well, if they can get a chance to give us an actual story arc with Boba that we've never gotten, same way that they handled Maul, where Maul suddenly became this really tragic, extraordinarily interesting character who beforehand oh was Spiky just boy. a stunt dude. Sorry, <sighs> that's all that he is in Phantom Menace. He doesn't have any personality or any character. So 
for them to take Boba Fett, who is the uh. ultimate symbol in Star Wars of a thing that just looks cool but has no story relevance, and then turn him into this really tragic, aging, like Clint Eastwood kind of character could be really interesting to answer ian's question i don't think that we're going to open on tatooine i think the next episode my guess is we start someplace completely different and then Mm -hmm. maybe by about episode c Mm and the shadows we see that boba has left tatooine and is just following den just to see what's going on Mm, okay Mm -hmm. do you do you guys think that boba is going to be just this season or be a series long character i think for this season uh at the most, I think just one more episode, if that. But I'm thinking by season three, maybe, you know, a few more episodes or something. I think it's a slow, like, reincorporation of Boba back into the universe. I think this is like the testing waters. Like, I think they're just putting in the toe and they're dipping their toes into the water, so to speak, before uh, going one way or the other. I'm so glad that Tamar Morrison is back. Yes. Like they didn't try to whitewash mm-hmm. that character at all. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Because I was semi nervous about that. Same. Now I'm going to mm-hmm. ask a question. Do it. The Mandalorian that they were talking about at the wrestling event, was he talking about Cobb Vanth or was he talking about Boba? That's the question. The million dollar question. Because I feel like anyone who has. Any familiarity with a Mandalorian would know that Cobb was not a Mandalorian just by looking at him. I wonder if the underworld knows that Boba is still on Tatooine, but he's not really working. Mm -hmm. And if we get some kind of a one last job narrative, whether it's maybe he gets tasked to take the child and decides to take one last job from this dude who already took some armor anyways. So it'd be interesting just to track him down. That might be something that we see. I'm I'm trying to remember if the the cyclops guy said the he town did. or not that's why i'm think he, that's he why did. i think he meant Cobb vanth because he says like he name drops most pelgo that's true oh that would make sense because then he came to Pelly mm. with it maybe both though yeah. if because it sounds like that cyclops do was going around picking off mandalorians so maybe maybe he is aware that both of them are there and he might think that the Mandalorian maybe Boba's been hanging out around the town and they just don't know it I don't know there's so much there well because you got to think that if the Cyclops and again this is that million dollar question because uh Cobb Vanth's story pretty much begins and he says when the second Death Star explodes and that's like what within I don't know uh, five years? Well, it's five years ago, but um, it's also like at least within a week of when Boba Fett was last on Tatooine mm-hmm. too. So again, it, it I don't know. It could all maybe I'm just like overthinking things, but you know, like it is a good question. Like, who did he mean? Did he mean Cobb Vanth or was it Boba Fett? And right. Maybe he meant both at the same time. At the end of uh, the Gunslinger episode, was that Boba or Vant? Because both of them have little spurry sounds. I on think there's no Boba. cape. Boba's wearing a cape at the end of this episode, and they do. He can change they his do clothes. Have, <laughs> they do have spurs. This this is an animation where they have one outfit for four seasons. They can change their I think clothes. It's Boba. See, I also think it's Boba because if it were Cobb, I think we would have found out more about Finnick at that point. We would have seen her or got some kind of a drop. I think she's working with Boba. I think it's Boba too. I just wanted to throw (laughs) that out there. (laughs) 
How about you, Maria? I think it's Boba, and I think Fennec Shand, the reason why she can't be killed and why people put bounties on her all the time is because she's some sort of species of multiplier. Oh. Ooh, damn. <gasps> Ooh. You're welcome. Oh. Damn. Oh, I need that to be true. If it's not, I'm going to be so sad. Another if that one. is true. <laughs> if Just wanted to come through with that. True. <laughs> Just wanted to come through. And that, your hello. <laughs> right. That very well could be like my new favorite character because hello. Zam Wessel, <laughs> growing up with the prequels, Zam Wessel was my Boba Fett. Yeah. Even though she was only in Attack of the Clones for like five minutes, I thought she was a badass. Like she was a changeling. She like, you know, she did everything she needed to up until mm-hmm. the very last second just to stay alive and stay mm-hmm. in the game. Damn. I love Shame. I just dead. thought of what if what if Phoenix fan uh Phoenix is also uh, a clone like Boba and there's more Phoenix. That could be too. But the name Fennec refers to a fox. Mm-hmm. They are cunning, mm-hmm. they're wily, and they don't always their plan is not as it appears. So it just it makes me feel like there's more to her than we know. We don't know everything about her. Do we know if she's gonna appear in season two at all or not there's no official casting news on it but and i haven't really been able to to verify it i usually try to get a couple sources on it before i even mention it anywhere i i've heard that it's a pretty strong possibility that ming no win has already filmed i could be completely wrong about that but i i don't expect to not see her sometime this season I mean, they can cut Darth Maul in half and bring right. him back as a crazy spider mm-hmm. person so they can bring was her dope. back. Oh, I love him. I love my <laughs> spiky boy. Oh, spiky boy is so good. I have a whole Star Wars daddy list. You don't oh, we had an entire conversation <laughs> oh, yeah. about Star Wars daddies that didn't get recorded last week. You missed yeah. it. <laughs> okay. They all have nicknames, too. Well, yeah, Cad Bane's Cad Boo. I think about that all the time now. There's... <laughs> There's a toast daddy because oh, Anakin is toast daddy, and then he goes in, and then he goes into the toaster, and the the toaster sets on fire, and he gets trapped <laughs> in the toaster, and he becomes black metal daddy. Um, Din is of course Dadalorian, so he has a very simple name. Uh, Kanan Jarrus is space dad because he's very simple too. But then you have Spiky Boy, but Spiky Boy's other name is also Malio and Savaji when he's with his brothers because he they're the Super Malio brothers. <laughs> um, I I have whole nicknames for everybody. Yeah. I love them so much. Oh, I love my dad. There's Blue Husbando, Grande Boyfriend. I, I love my babies. <laughs> I love my space okay. dads. There's a mommy list too. I have one. <laughs> I have one last question. And it's like after getting so theoretical and deep, could it also just be that they threw us a bone because of chapter five and decided to show us Boba Fett that that's it? And it's not that deep. I don't think Dave has it in him to be not that deep. If it was just John Favreau on his own, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Dave would do that. Uh, also, just completely out of nowhere, pretty much at this point. But it was something that almost got brought up earlier that I was thinking and then forgot to interject. I think we're really lucky at the pairing of Dave Filoni and John Favreau because they're an intersection of where John Favreau makes very very accessible extraordinarily popular action films at this point like he knows how to make an iron man right Mm -hmm. and dave filoni does these very character driven things that appeal to fans 
and then people who want to get a little bit deeper than casual with it. Pairing the two of them up makes for an extraordinary live action series because they I think if it's balanced out enough, they kind of will pull each other back and forth so that we get something somewhere in between the two of those. So we have an extraordinarily accessible live action series that is very popular. I maintain that this is the new mainline Star Wars for the time being. This is where all the casual fans are going for their Star Wars fix right now. It's also where all of the hardcore fans are going for their Star Wars fix right now. And we're both getting fed. So we're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. I just love that it's a series and not a film because it's, it's like years. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. I mean, I've, I've always thought and animation was my gateway into Star Wars. Like I saw Star Wars as a kid, but like I didn't become a fan fan until the Clone Wars movie, and and you know, there's a reason I have an Ahsoka Hello. Tano tattoo on my arm. Um, How are uh, you? Yeah, I, you can't see it, uh, but I also have <laughs> I have a Captain Rex on my my ankle too. I'll trust um, you. But I, um, what was I saying? <laughs> Clone Wars. I became a fan. <laughs> I of got Clone distracted. Filoni and Favreau, um, and oh. we get years with them. They're good together. Oh, television. Um, I, I think that Star Wars works so well in a television format because I feel like the movies are almost just the skeleton, but the television lets us like deep dive. We get to go on these character journeys. We get to explore these crazy, especially animation. Like I don't think something like the world between worlds would have worked so as well in live action. It's the there's these or the Bindu, like the Bindu would be a hell of an awesome giant Muppet. He would be make a really yes. great Muppet. But you know, certain things like that. I, I think Star Wars is honestly made for television, so we can deep dive into these characters where we have the more basic movies with the skeleton, but the animation and the television shows is where like the meat and like the that the organs and the heart and the mind of Star Wars is. Well said. I also just like TV better than movies. I don't watch <laughs> movies at all. I'm not a movie yeah. person. It takes too much time. So I th- I think we're gonna end it there. Well, how about this real quick, since Hope gets to be our first guest as we're doing our Mandalorian series. Hope, what do you hope to see, no pun intended, this season of The Mandalorian? I know, I'm so sorry. That's my sister's name, too. So as soon as it came out, I felt bad. (laughs) Oh, I love meeting other Hopes. Uh, Honestly, my my co-podcaster does it the best because whenever Hope comes up in any episode of Star Wars, he's like, look, the episode's about you. And I'm like, but this is five years old. Please stop. (laughs) I, you know, I, my, I, I, I kind of just want to see, again, like my, my concern is the cameos taking away from Den and Baby Yoda. Like I, they are the heart of the series. I don't want to see the action taken away from them. Um, so as long as like we're still focused on them, like I'm okay with other cameos. But what I really, really, really want to see more than anything is Baby Yoda being a full baby and Din having to be a dad. And I, I said this in Pink Milk, but I'm going to say it again. I want to see this Force-sensitive child have a full tantrum and just like Force floating like bombs and guns everywhere just because he's having a full tantrum and Din having to having to parent. And that's a cold opening. It's just Baby Yoda crying <laughs> with guns flying everywhere. And, and poor Din is just like... <sighs> And then he does the, the the title gets thrown up, and it's just like da da dun da da dun dun da. But no, like I, I want to see their relationship. I think that is the heart of the show, and I want to see him come into his own as a dad. Um, there's and and him having to like come to I, I them explore Baby Yoda's darkness. Um, one line I do want to mention from this is when 
Din first meets Cobb Vanth, um, Din Cobb was like, "Are we we're gonna do the shootout in front of your kid?" And Din says he's seen worse. And we have this child who is force sensitive. Who knows what his past is? We don't know what his last fifty years is, but we can assume that he's probably a lightsaber. But I would almost like to see them explore Baby Yoda's dark side as well, especially in a time where there are no Jedi and the Sith are in hiding and explore what it is to be a force user with balance with dark side and light side. And why does he even have to be a Jedi in the first place? Why can't he just be a force Mm, user? And I think that would be a really interesting exploration as we explore Jen as a Mandalorian. Let's explore baby Yoda and what is the force in this time period when there are no, no titles or labels of force users. So I ramble when I'm tired. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for being our first guest that we've ever had on this podcast. Thank you. We will always have that honor. Uh, You know, I had so much fun and I just, you know, from the get go, embarrassed myself just being like, I was an actual (laughs) monster. So we bring out the best. I'm awkward and I love it. (laughs) That's our brand. (laughs) There you go. Well, that brings today's voyage to an end. Thank you for choosing the Katana cast. We hope you enjoyed your trip. Be sure to follow and subscribe to our feed to stay up to date on all our latest episodes. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at the Katana Cast and email us. We're katanacast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow our personals, you can follow me at igallagher321. Ben? Hey guys, this is Ben. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm available at Ben is the worst. Maria. Hey, what's happening? It's me, Maria. You can reach me at Blurred Girl Jedi on that Twitter. And a very, very special thank you to Hope for joining us on today's episode. Thank you for having me. Where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me at Hope Molinex, um, also at J Guys and Jedi on Twitter. Um, one's my personal, one's my show, and then I have a website called Geeky Girl Experience where I'm, I'm actually writing Mandalorian reviews, um, and I write about animation, queer topics, and Star Wars, and sometimes all at the same time. Again, thanks for choosing the Katana Cast for your cruise. We appreciate your continuing support, and as always, may the Force be with you. Always. <laughs> I mean, I, I was on Geeky Waffles and I was we were talking Simba's Pride 2 from Disney. And I was like, yeah, that Kobe was hot. And Candace was like, I'm sorry, that's a lion. <laughs> <laughs>